see it, even when we don't feel it, he's working. Uh, sometimes it feels like Jonah. Uh, feels like we're not getting anywhere, but he's getting us to our destination. But other times, you know, we just don't feel it, we don't see it. It's kind of what we're going to be talking about a little bit today with uh, a heavenly harvest. That, you know, those seeds go in the ground, and we're not going to see them for quite some time. But even if we don't see it, even if we don't feel it, he's working. So, um, last week, just to kind of recap a little bit from last week, we talked about Paul's instruction that we are to be those that come alongside other believers that may have been caught up or trapped in some kind of sin, some kind of transgression, and to lovingly restore those folks. That it's not our job to expose things, um, it's our job to cover them in love. And not cover them up, right? But, you know, approach them and say, listen, this thing in your life, this thing that you're caught up in, needs to be addressed, needs to be forgiven, needs to be restored so you get back to health so it doesn't break out and create all kinds of chaos. And then not only that, we're to be those that come alongside other people that have had um, burdens thrust upon them, things that are weighing them down that they cannot carry on their own, things that could crush them. And so we're to come alongside and, and help those people um, and bear those burdens because just like sin can break out uh, of our little world and create chaos, so too uh, the burdens that we carry, uh, if we don't have some help, can break out and create all kinds of chaos around us. Um, I don't know about you, but sometimes in life, I kind of stand there and it feels like everything is swirling around me and it seems pretty chaotic. And in those moments, I think, I just really want some peace. That's really what I want. That's really what we're all after, is just uh, a measure of peace. Um, and really the peace in the midst of the storm that only Jesus can bring. And, you know, it says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And all of us, uh, part of what we're going to be talking about today is stewardship. And all of us are called to be good stewards of the grace that has been given to us. And so as sons and daughters, which that's the beginning of Galatians, um, as his sons and daughters, as adopted heirs, um, we are to be those that take peace with us wherever we go, right? We're to be peacemakers. Um, so we're to be good stewards of that. Uh, one of our favorite movies uh, is the last, the last film in the trilogy of The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. Um, if you haven't seen that movie, um, it's not a family movie, but um, read the book. It's a really good book. Um, but in that, one of the main characters is a guy named the steward. He's called the steward. And what he is doing, the, in the absence of the king, the king, the rightful heir to the throne, has walked away from that path a long time ago. And so his country, Gondor, uh, I'm going to geek out a little bit on you, but his country of Gondor is being ruled, being watched over by this guy called the steward. And it's his, his job, uh, while there is no king, to watch over that land. And then at some point, uh, the king returns, and that's kind of the, the point of the movie. But uh, it's, it's interesting uh, how they did this, because when they go into the throne room, there's this huge throne with all of these you know, stairs that go up to it. Um, that's where the king sits. And then there's this little tiny throne at the bottom of the stairs, and that's where the steward sits. Uh, he doesn't actually sit on the throne. I thought that was really neat how they represented that. But spoiler alert, the king comes back. <laughs> and he takes his rightful place on the throne, and then there's peace throughout the earth. So that's a very oversimplified version of a three-hour movie, but <laughs> just like that, if we can be good stewards of the grace that has been entrusted to us, to the treasure that's been given to us, then we will be rewarded greatly 
when the master returns and takes his rightful place and then there's finally peace on this planet. Uh, stewardship, really, Christian stewardship, is using God-given resources to accomplish God-given goals. Uh, that's really what stewardship is. Um, stewardship is the use of God-given resources for the accomplishment of God-given goals. Keeping with this agricultural theme uh, that Paul started, he's going to move from the vine now down into the dirt as he starts talking about the principle of sowing and reaping. And we have a little bit of an understanding of sowing and reaping and harvesting and that kind of stuff, but unless uh, you're a farmer or maybe if you're in you know, the financial world, uh, these kind of things, we have a vague understanding of them. Yes, we're going to plant seeds. Yes, they're going to come up. Uh, I've tried to plant things. I am not. I do not have a green thumb. Um, so the, the concept of this sometimes escapes me. But uh, the people that Paul was writing to would have understood it perfectly. Um, you know, we talked about a couple weeks that fruit, the fruit that is born inside of us when we abide in him is not for us. That fruit is for other people. It's so we can serve others. The seed, on the other hand, is a little bit different. Um, you, have some, you have some benefit in the seed. So while the fruit is born inside of you, it's for other people, the seed really is for you. So something to keep in mind as we're talking about, because there's going to be a harvest. And the point is, we need to be planting good seed now so that there is a good, righteous harvest for us, a heavenly harvest, when the master comes back or when he takes us home. Let's read our portion of scripture today. We're closing in on it. As I promised, we'll be done before Easter. Uh, so this is verses 6 through 10. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But for the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. As we have opportunity. There's so much in just these five verses here that I would love to unpack. And so I was looking at it, like, man, we could talk about giving, we could talk about, you know, salvation, we could talk about perseverance, we could talk about charity, all of that kind of stuff, materialism, you know, what in the world should we talk about? Um, so as I was looking at this, I probably stared at this first verse for 15 or 20 minutes. Um, to be honest, it's a little bit awkward. Let, let the ones who are taught share all good things with the one who teaches. Um, so I said, I'm like, well, maybe there's something in the Greek, you know, that's a little bit different. And no, it's just, <laughs> it is what it is. And so as I'm looking at it, I'm trying to think, okay, so how do we bring some practical applications? We're in a little bit of a different season uh, here just starting out. But... Um, God showed me things that I'd never seen before, and so I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, he showed me some things. Uh, this is really just one of those black and white verses. Sometimes we come to things in the, in the Word and we're like, well, you know, does it mean something different? This one's pretty straightforward, but it's something that, uh, unfortunately, if it's taken out of context, can have really damaging consequences. Um, and we've seen that before. I mean, what's the number one reason that people say they don't like coming to church? Right? Pastors and ministries asking for money, right? You guys are always talking about money. People are asking for money. Um, and I would love to think that we're past the days of, you know, greasy televangelists, you know, on, on TV saying, you know, send in your seed, you know, offering. And, um, but we still have those guys out there. Um, but people usually associate the principle of 
sowing and reaping with money could make people a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, but Jesus talked about it a lot. It's one of the nice things about preaching through the word verse by verse. It's kind of a double-edged sword, right? Like we're, we're really only going to talk about money when we get to it in the word. But when we get to it, we're going to talk about it. Um, so Jesus talked about it a lot. Uh, one third of the parables that he taught had to do with money. Why did Jesus talk about money matters? Because money matters. Right? It matters to us. That's the reason why he talked about it. So there's some practical application in sowing and reaping. Uh, there's also some spiritual application. Though really the prerequisite for a life of faith, a saving faith in Jesus Christ is relationship. We've been talking about that all through the book of Galatians. It's all about relationship. That is the difference between legalism and grace. Um, legalism, it's all about rules. Grace, it's all about relationship. It's all about what's already been done. But listen to this as it reads in the message translation, verse 6. Be very sure now, you who have been trained to a self-sufficient maturity, that you enter into a generous common life with those who have trained you, sharing all good things that you have and experience. Really what we're talking about here is community. We're talking about partnership, right? We're talking about being on mission with each other. And that's one of the things really the desire of my heart um, is to be on mission with a group of people that are being led by God, that are being guided by the Spirit, and that are going where He leads. Um, that's really one of the things that gets me excited about community. And it's one of the things that, um, you know, in this season has been difficult for a lot of churches because that community part of it has fallen apart a little bit. Um, in Mark 10, Jesus is talking to a group of people and He's getting ready to leave and go to a new place. And there is a, a rich young ruler, a rich young man, who approaches Jesus and he kneels down and he says, you know, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And it's interesting because Jesus has this exchange with him and he was like, you know, why do you call me good? You know, there's only one that's good. Which I thought was, why does Jesus tell him that? I mean, Jesus is God. Um, but he says there's only one good. He's constantly redirecting people to the Father. Um, but he says, what do I need to do to be saved? And Jesus tells him, well, you know the commandments. You know, keep the commandments. And he's like, well, which ones? And I think it's interesting, uh, Jesus' response in Mark 10 Mark 10, 19. Jesus says, uh, You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said, Teacher, I've kept all these from my youth. I think it's interesting because uh, Jesus intentionally leaves out one of the commandments here, and it's the very thing that he's about to put his finger on in this man's life. Um, Jesus says, looking at him, loved him. I think that's interesting, too. Like, he could have just said, why did Mark put that down here? Um, he says that, yeah, he could have just said he looked at him and he told him. It says Jesus looked at him and he loved him. Because I think he was, he was definitely being sincere. Like, he meant it. He was seeking. He wanted to know what it was. You know, what is the deed? What is the cost that I need? To inherit eternal life. And Jesus says, you lack one thing. Um, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. And disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So Jesus had left out the commands, don't covet, right? Don't covet. That was the thing in this guy's life, uh, possessions had a hold of him. Um, he could not let them go. And so the principle being, do things own us or do we own things? We're all going to have things, right? There's nothing wrong with that. But do they own us or do we own them? And Peter turns to Jesus at this point because Jesus is saying, yeah, it's so difficult 
for people that are wrapped up in stuff, that are wrapped up in things of the world, to enter into the kingdom. And, in fact, that's when he says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, and Peter says, well, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. And Jesus says this in verse 29. Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time in houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions in the age to come, eternal life. So I think it's interesting that he adds persecutions. Um, there are a lot of promises in the Bible that we like to underline, right? Um, he will supply all of your needs, you know, according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Uh, a lot of those things. But some things we don't necessarily underline. Uh, things like this. Like if you dedicate your life to service, if you decide to follow me and lay it all out there, you're going to have some persecutions. You're going to have some trouble along the way. Just expect it. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. But you are going to have some trouble, some persecutions. So that's kind of the caveat for all this encouragement. We don't really experience... Um, persecutions here in America, although I would say that we're probably about as close as we've ever been uh, to that in our country right now. Um, but um, we learned last week that in the end times, the love of many will grow cold. Uh, so we are kind of seeing that in this season, this past year, there's been a real shaking in the church. Um, so it's, it's not surprising Jesus told what's going to happen, but uh, there have been a number of people that during this past year have used uh, the pandemic as a reason to pull back or to check out spiritually, and not talking about people that can't attend, you know, for you know uh, health reasons. But there have been some people that just decided, you know, it's a lot more convenient just to stay home, you know, just to sleep in, or maybe just you know watch sermons in my PJs. Um, I mean, I enjoyed it there for a couple of months. That was kind of nice. But I missed the community part of it, the part that we're supposed to be doing, we're supposed to get back in and engage. So there's a shaking where people are falling away, but there's also a shaking inside people that aren't saved. They're starting to kind of wake up. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned this last week, but a friend, um, he was you know, dealing with a contractor, and the guy just kind of walked up to him and said, so where are you with the end of the world? He was kind of like caught off guard, like, what? He's like, well, you, know, you don't seem to be bothered by too much, all this craziness that's going on. And um, the guy was searching. He had an opportunity to open door to share the gospel with that guy um, who was searching. He's like, you know what? I got a Bible, and... I mean, some people are getting shaken up in a good way. And so we have this whole group of people that want to know what this Jesus thing is all about. Um, you know, there is, there is going to be a cost if we decide to really live what we say we believe. But right here, Jesus is telling it, listen, if you lay it all on the line, if you partner with me and let me do things through you the way I want to do it, I'll provide for you and it'll blow your mind. It'll be incredible. Uh, I'm going to use my parents as an example. You guys weren't here this past weekend, so you get to be an illustration this week. Um, so don't miss. Okay. You guys, you guys have been full-time ministry now for what? Like 20, 22 years. 22 years. Okay. So you've been in 22 years. If you guys really want to be entertained, Take these guys out to lunch or something, and they'll tell you about all the houses and all the cars and all the lands that they own. <laughs> all the family they have all over the world. 
Here's what I mean by that. Okay, so they do have their house just down the street, the house that I grew up in, like 42 years or something like that. But here's what Jesus is talking about. Um, if for some reason your guys' house burned down tonight, right? Car got stolen. There are literally hundreds of people that would be willing to open their homes, that would be willing to give them a car, that would be willing to, to provide for them financially because this principle is true. Jesus said, listen, you guys forsake everything. You guys commit yourselves to ministry. You're, you guys are going to have houses and car a hundredfold worth for what you left here. And that's kind of the principle that Jesus is talking about sowing and reaping, partnering with people that are out doing the work. Um, it's, it really is amazing. Uh, God will not be a debtor to any man. You can't outgive God. Mm -hmm. So you can devote your life. You can give money. You can give your time, your talents, your resources. And God's never going to owe you one. Right? He's always going to bless your socks off. So one day, one day I'll do this full time. Uh, God willing. And this verse, this verse six, will take on a little bit of a fuller meaning as, you know, I get freed up to, you know, teach and study and be a pastor more the way that I feel called to. Um, in the book of Acts, uh, we see on the day of Pentecost, the church is growing by leaps and bounds. Uh, they're up in the upper room on Pentecost and they're up there uh, sowing seeds to the spirit. You know, they're up there and they're worshiping and they're praying. And we know the story, the Holy Spirit falls on them and there's tongues of fire and they're speaking in tongues. And Peter, Peter can't hold it in. He's got to get out and, and preach a sermon. And so he walks outside and he preaches a sermon and 3,000 people get saved. It's incredible. Talk about church growth. <laughs> Mega church on day one. So they had a lot of work to do. They had a lot. They had a big job. And the disciples were doing it. But listen to this in chapter 6. So this is Acts chapter 6. One. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, pick out from among you seven good men, good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So the disciples had no problem waiting tables, I can tell you that. Jesus says, if you want to be great in the kingdom, you've got to be the servant of all. And just as I washed your feet, go wash each other's feet. So they have a problem with this. But at some point, they had to delegate some of this responsibility of taking care of the, of the flock so they could be freed up. Um, how did they do that? Well, we read a little bit earlier in chapter 4, the culture of the church and what had been cultivated. We talk about this a lot, the early church and what it was like and how amazing that was. But in chapter 4... Verse 32 says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that they belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. They lived a generous common life together, providing for one another. Um, are you guys with me? They're kind of, they're sowing into the ministry so the ministry can continue. That's what they're doing. So what we want to do as Christians, as a church even, is partner and sow into ministries so that they can continue. Verse 7 says, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. If we give our time, talents, and treasure, the three T's, that just makes it easy for me to remember, time, talents, and treasure. If we give those things to God, 
and we let him, you know, work with them. You'll be amazed at what he will do. Um, that's the first thing that came to mind. I was talking about, okay, verse six, how does that really apply? Like, how do the people that are taught partner with the one that's teaching? And I was thinking about, you know, the disciples and the apostles and how, you know, they were provided for because it freed them up to do the ministry of the word and to prayer. So here's the second, and this is something that I hadn't thought about that came to me when I was uh, doing this. Who is our teacher? Like, I sit up here on Sundays and teach, but who really is our teacher? Um, in John 16, Jesus is preparing his disciples for uh, his departure. His time is growing short. He knows that he's about to be betrayed, and he's trying to prep. He says, listen, as a matter of fact, it's actually going to be to your advantage if I leave. Because I can't be with you all the time. I'm going back to the Father, but if I go, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send the Helper to you. And what the Holy Spirit's going to do is he will go with you everywhere. He will convict the world of sin. He's going to convict the world, but he's going to lead you into all truth. He's going to teach you. He's going to come. He's going to help you. He's going to speak to you. And oh, by the way, he's going to speak what he hears from me, just like I spoke what I heard from the Father. And so while I can't be with you, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. He's going to be the one that's going to lead you into all truth. And he's only going to testify to me. Um, so who's our teacher? Right? Who is our teacher? Holy Spirit is leading us and teaching us the words um, that Jesus is telling him and that the, you know, opens up our eyes and our ears and our heart to the scriptures. So how do we share all good things with the Holy Spirit? That sounds kind of strange. How do we minister to God? Well, the role of the priests in the Old Testament was to minister in the temple, to minister to the Lord. And the ways they did that, they uh, did that through worship. They did that through you know, teaching the scriptures. They did it through offering sacrifices. Uh, all of these things they did to minister to the Lord in the temple. And that's how we draw near to him. That's how we minister to the Holy Spirit is through worship, through offering, through prayer, all of that. Um, in 1 Peter 2, he said, you guys are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. And as such, uh, we should be those that are ministering to the Lord as priests. Our ultimate goal as priests, our ultimate goal is to produce fruit that ministers to the Lord. Just like when he came to that fig tree as he was leaving Bethany, we talked about that. He came up on the fig tree, he was looking for fruit. And he was hungry practically, but he also hungered spiritually for the fruit that we're supposed to be producing in our lives. So the reason why the fig tree was cursed because there wasn't any there. Um, you know, if we abide in him, if we have relationship with him, that fruit's going to be present. And that's one of the ways that we can minister to him. I just thought that was um, a neat principle to keep in mind. Ultimately, the Holy Spirit is, you know, our teacher. And so while this has some practical applications of sharing with people that are teaching you, uh, also ministering to, you know, Jesus, ministering to the Holy Spirit through things like prayer, fasting, um, all of that kind of stuff. So, um, in verse 8, back to Galatians 6, verse 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. There's one thing that's true no matter how you look at it. Whatever you're sowing, that's what you should expect to reap. Whatever you're sowing towards, there's going to be a crop. That is just a principle of the kingdom. Um, if you are sowing to the flesh, 
then you're going to reap corruption. If you're sowing to the Spirit, you're going to reap life. You're going to harvest life. So we should expect every single day that the choices that we make are going to produce a crop later on down the line. Um, when we talk about these seeds, seeds are very little things, just very little things that disappear and aren't seen uh, for a long, long time. And every day we have the opportunity to wake up and make the decision. Am I going to sow to my flesh? Am I going to satisfy myself? Or am I going to plant seeds that are going to bear a heavenly harvest? You know, am I going to do the practical thing? This is about as practical as it gets. We talked about fruit. We talked about coming alongside each other last week. Now we're talking about literally the things that you do every day are going to have an impact uh, later on down the road. It might have today, might not happen till eternity, but there is going to be a crop. We can't expect to sow to our flesh and not harvest weeds. Okay, um, we can't we can't plant the wrong stuff and expect to have a good produce out of that. In the book of Judges, we see one of the most famous Bible characters uh, in the Old Testament. It really is a sad story because he chose to sow seeds to the flesh, and that's Samson. Uh, Samson, we learn all about him, right? His incredible strength, uh, the mistakes he made. He is an incredible story, but unfortunately, a sad one because of the way he chose to compromise and live his life. Before he was born, the angel came to his parents and said, you're going to have a son, but he is to be as a Nazarite before God. And what that meant was, practically, is that he wasn't supposed to drink alcohol, wasn't supposed to cut his hair, we know that one, and he wasn't supposed to touch dead things. He wasn't supposed to you know, make himself unclean. Just three things, not super complicated, um, but... We know the story. As the Spirit of the Lord would fall upon Samson, he would do these incredible feats of strength. He was uh, a deliverer for Israel against the Philistines. He was a mighty warrior, but he also had an inclination to sow to his flesh. Uh, we know that he liked foreign women. That was a big problem. Uh, that was one of the first things children of Israel weren't supposed to intermarry. And for whatever reason, he was supposed to be delivering the people of Israel from the Philistines, but he was falling in love with some of the women that were Philistines. Uh, he had some glaring faults that ended up doing him, doing him in. Um, that set him on a path towards destruction uh, as he ended up breaking these Nazarite vows. Um, one of them, like I said, he wasn't supposed to touch dead things. Uh, there's the famous story of him going down the path and a lion jumps out in front of him. It says that he, he kills the lion, he just rips it open. That's pretty incredible. Spirit falls on him, he rips open the lion, leaves it on the side of the road, and he comes back later... And some bees, for some reason, had made their nest inside the carcass of this dead animal, this dead lion. And it says that he scoops it up and just starts having a bite as he's going down the road. That's some, that's some Bear Grylls stuff right there. That's disgusting. <laughs> he got a dead lion, and he's eating honey out of it. So, not supposed to touch dead things. He's eating things out of dead things. That's not good. Um, so, you know, we know the story where he picked up a donkey's jawbone, you know, and killed a whole bunch of Philistines. Again... An incredible, mighty work. Probably not supposed to touch the, you know, the donkey's jawbone, unfortunately, because he's touching dead things. And then we know that he killed 30 guys. When he had his wedding feast, he got tricked. Uh, the Philistines, because he was marrying a Philistine woman, they said, listen, you need to tell us the riddle, the answer to the riddle that Samson gave us, because if you don't, we're going to kill you, we're going to kill your family. Um, and so she tricks him, gives up the secret to the riddle. And uh, so he has to provide 30 pieces of clothing to these guys. So he goes out and he says, all right, you know, you guys cheated me. He goes out, he kills 30 guys, takes all their clothes, 
and uses that as his payment. So again, he's breaking some of these vows, right? When he's got a seven-day marriage feast, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that he was drinking at the feast. Now, I'm making a bit of an assumption, but I'll show you why in just a second. Um, we know that, again, he falls in love with Delilah, right? And that's another one of his undoings because they came, the Philistines came to her. They bought her off. They said, listen, tell us the secret of his strength. We'll make you rich. And so she does not love him in return. She gets the secret out of him. Now, um, look at the progression here with Samson because he eventually tells her, all right, it's my hair. Now, it wasn't really his hair. It was the Holy Spirit on him that gave him that power. But if you look at the progression, he touches dead things, right? Nothing happened. No consequences. At least he didn't think so. Planting seed for the flesh. Drinking. Nothing happened. Planting more seeds to the flesh. No consequences. Not worried about it. You know what? It's my hair. Cut my hair. Probably not going to be any consequences. I broke the other vows. Nothing happened. Cuts the hair. And the sad thing is, it says that he did not even know that the spirit had left him. That's pretty sad. He woke up and he said, I'm going to take care of these guys the same way I always have. There's not going to be any more consequences to my actions the way that I've been living. All of these seeds and compromises that I've been planting. And he wakes up. To, he didn't even know that the spirit had left him. Samson sowed seeds to the flesh and he reaped corruption. Um, little daily compromises can have a staggering consequence. You know, they can have big consequences later on down the road. Um, like we always you know, tell our kids, you can choose your actions, but you can't choose your consequences, and you're usually not going to like them. So be careful of the little things that we do every single day and what's going to come up as a result. Uh, if we sow to the flesh, there's going to be weeds. Uh, and these weeds will destroy the relationships around you. They're going to poison your relationship with God. They're also going to kill off your relationships with people um, if we choose to sow the flesh. Um, if we plant seeds to the Spirit, we're going to reap relationships that last. The only thing that we can take with us out of this life is people. That's it. That's the only thing that we can take out of this life. Um, and that's where we should be investing our time, our energy, our time, talents, and treasure, right? In people. Uh, Samson took some people with him. Uh, when he died. Um, <laughs> says his hair finally started to grow back, right? And they bring him in, and they're just kind of mocking him, and they bring him up there so they can make fun of him at a party, and there's 3,000 Philistines there. And he says, prop me up between the pillars that are holding up the house, because I want to rest. And he prays, essentially he prays, he cries out to God, just give me strength one last time. So he is back into relationship at this point. The Holy Spirit falls on him, takes out 3,000 people. 3,000 people died. When Peter went out and preached a sermon, when the Holy Spirit fell on him, 3,000 people got saved. So we have the opportunity, as we're living here in this life, to take people with us. Yeah. It depends on what we're going to sow to, what's going to be important to us. Why spend our time on anything else that we can't take with us? Yeah. Like We all have stuff. That's fine. Solomon told us, what's good for a man? To enjoy the fruits of his labor. Right? That's part of our life here. That's what, what God wants us to do. But that's not to be the center, the focus of what we do. People are to be the center and the focus of what we do. Sowing seeds to the Spirit will produce a crop that can't be taken away. We'll reap eternity. In Matthew 6, Jesus said, he said, Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where rust and moth are going to destroy it. Lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Send it on ahead and it'll be there for you when you get there. Right? There was a... Uh, there's a silly story about a guy who gets to heaven and, um, and he was not much of a giver. And he gets up there and 
Uh, the angel starts showing him, he's like, let me show you to your home, your eternal home, right? You're walking past all of these mansions and they just kind of keep getting bigger and bigger as he goes. And they turn down this alley and they go down to the end and there's this little shack sitting down there at the end. Um, and the guy said, uh, wait a minute, all these, like, what is this? He said, well, we did the best we could with what you sent us. <laughs> That's a silly story. But it does talk about the fact that, listen, you can send it on ahead. You can send it on ahead. You use your time, talents, and treasure the right way. Um, I mean, I bought uh, my, my card that I bought out there. Uh, I was really excited about it. And I got it home, and I was uh, doing some stuff to it and putting some things on the fenders. And as I was doing that, I happened to look underneath and there's just rust underneath it that I didn't even see when I bought the car. It was so ticked, I almost sowed seeds to the flesh. <laughs> I was not happy when that happened when I found that out. But everything here is gonna end up in a junkyard eventually. It's gonna end up there. So that's why, verse nine, let us not grow weary in doing well. Let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. We all get weary. We all get tired. We all get, you know, kind of ground down, if you will, by life. But the temptation is in those seasons where we feel worn down, the temptation is to kind of pull back, to kind of check out a little bit. So, you know what? I need to just work on me for a little bit. And the enemy could kind of lull us to sleep um, into that season, kind of pull back a little bit. Um, the enemy would love it if we just disengaged for a little bit and worked on ourselves. There is no retirement plan in the Christian life. There's no retirement. We don't ever get to hang it up, spiritually speaking. Uh, one of the things that perseverance, perseverance is important for the new believer. It's important for the believer who's been a Christian for 20 years. It's important for the believer who has been uh, around for 40, 50, 60 years, right, as a Christian. Perseverance is important for all. And I think that one of the things that's desperately needed in the church today are mature believers coming alongside young people and investing in them, giving them the wisdom and the knowledge and the life lessons that they have and raising up the next generation. Um, maybe people in their mid-40s with teenagers in the house. <laughs> coming alongside. Helping mentor. Those are one of the things that we need um, in this in this season, mature saints that continue to do the work, who do not grow weary in doing well, um, sharing their wisdom. All you have to do, if anybody has gardens, all you have to do is just leave it alone for one season. Mm -hmm. That's really all you have to do. Just leave it alone for a season, and it'll become overgrown with weeds. We have to be vigilant. Okay. Verse 10. We're almost there. Verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity... Let us do good to everyone, especially those who are of the household of faith. As we have opportunity. Last week we talked about the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. And then directly following that, I think, is one of the scariest. I know I said probably one of the most terrifying chapters in the Bible. But um, it's scary when it talks about the separation of the sheep and the goats. And it says that Jesus will separate them, uh, put the sheep on one side and the goats on the other. I saw a church sign and it said, love everybody I'll sort them out later. And that's true. We should just love everybody and let him sort them out later. But he sorts them out, and he says to the sheep, he says, enter into the kingdom um, because they ministered to him while they were here on earth. And they're shocked, right? They're like, when, when did we ever see you 
naked and clothed you or sick or in jail or, or hungry or thirsty. When did we ever see that? We never, we never saw you. And it's interesting, his response. It says, the king will tell them, truly I said to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Now, I never, I never noticed this. And as I read through this, it says, as you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it unto me. I never caught that little to, to my brothers, to these brothers and sisters of mine in different translations. Um, that's what he's talking about. He's talking to, to the people in the body. Did you just come to church and consume? Or did you step out when you saw a need and minister to others? Because when you minister to others, these brothers and sisters, you're ministering to the Lord. That's what he's saying. And to these other people, the goats, because I never really understood this. Like, the goats said, listen, we did all this stuff in your name. He said, well, I never knew you. I never knew you. You didn't do that to any of the least of my brothers. You didn't do it unto me. So that was a powerful, um, at least for me, realization that when it talks about um, we are to do good to everyone, but especially to those that are in the body. Um, nobody that needs us, as we have opportunity, should we overlook. But there is a difference, and there should be a preference to those that are part of the body of Christ. And it could be something very simple, right? It could be just giving somebody a meal. It could be just helping somebody out. It might be going to their house and cleaning it because they're sick or visiting them um, if they're in a tough time in jail, per se. That would be, um, you know, that would be something way different than just delivering a meal to somebody when they're sick. But those kinds of little things, again, we're talking about little things, right? Seeds that are planted that are going to reap a heavenly harvest. Uh, Jesus saying, those little things that you've done, to the least of these, my brothers, you did them unto me. There will be a cost to be counted if we enter in relationship with the Lord, but the value of the harvest is always greater than the cost of the seed. Always. The value of the harvest is always going to be greater than the cost of the seed. How do we count the cost? Well, God is asking us to use our time, talents, and treasure. How are we using those? That's your currency, and that's where your heart's going to be at, where you're using those things. We all have, to some degree, the same amount of time, we all have talents and giftings that we've been given, and we all have treasure that we use. And where does it go? One-sixth of the Gospels and one-third of the parables talk about money. Um, Jesus did this for a reason. Jesus wasn't a professional fundraiser. You know, he says, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Uh, tithing is not God's way of raising money. It's his way of raising kids. Uh, he is after your heart. He's after a relationship. And so when he talks about money, it is talking about your heart. And where is that at? He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where's the church's treasure? Right? We're one of the pillars of this church and of the church corporately, but of our church specifically, is missions. Um, and we talked about this. 10% of everything that is given is going to go out towards missions. We're going to partner with people that we have relationships that are out doing the work of the gospel. They're out teaching. That's one of the ways that we, as a church, are going to share all good things with the ones that are out there doing the teaching. Uh, like we started out. Um, some of you know this. I'm super excited uh, to tell this. But some of you know that we have our first missionary Family that we have come alongside that we're sowing into. Um, Jake and Nikki Phillips uh, leave in just a few hours, actually. Uh, them and their kids, Hunter and Jordan and Rory, and they are heading to Thailand, uh, where they're going to be missionaries over there 
in Chiang Mai. They have a really unique ministry, and I'm going to show this video that Jake sent me, and then we'll talk a little bit about what they do and why we're partnering with them. So then we'll go ahead and play this. hours uh, actually and so it's uh, exciting to hear their vision when it first started and what they wanted to do and now to see that come to fulfillment is pretty exciting uh, Jake was on the police probably saw that he was on the police force here in Kansas City for I don't know 20 some years he's been in the police and he has a very unique set of giftings and abilities uh, they provide security training to missionaries and organizations uh, especially in places in the world that are kind of hostile to Christians. And they work with an organization. Are they, are they based out of Kearney? Excelsior Springs. Excelsior Springs, okay. And what they do is they provide, uh, like I said, security training, but very specifically to missionaries that are going out into places like Asia, um, Middle East, places that are very unstable and increasingly uh, dangerous for Christians. And so they take them through uh, a number of scenarios uh, from being kidnapped to really teaching them um, you know, uh, plans of escape should they run into um, you know, persecution or should things happen like it happened in Beirut where they had the explosion, they had some missionaries there that they worked with and they had a plan, an escape plan on where to meet, where to locate, how to um, you know, get out of the city and live uh, until things calm down. And so my parents have worked with them and they've done a number 
of, uh, of security trainings all across the world. And so it is an ever increasingly necessary ministry. Uh, a lot of agencies uh, require their missionaries to take some type of security training. And so Chiang Mai in Thailand, honestly, is one of the easiest places for people to get to. Uh, it's kind of a hub over there. And it used to be, now it's a little more difficult, so it was super easy before COVID. <clears throat> Uh, but uh, they are getting ready to um, basically live out of a suitcase for a couple weeks because uh, and it may have changed. I don't know, we got some word from some of the missionaries over there. They were going to quarantine for two weeks in a hotel. I don't like staying in a hotel more than one night. But they're supposed to quarantine for two weeks. Now we got word that it might just be one week, which would be phenomenal for them to only have to do one week. That would be great on their resources to not have to pay for a whole other week in a hotel. But it can look kind of glamorous at times. I mean, I admit it would be great to travel, but I mean, it was fun, kind of funny. He said it could be dangerous when there was all the camels uh, running across there, but not always glamorous, right? As we know, I can assure you. But I'm just, I'm excited for them. I'm excited to be able to partner with them on this. Uh, the local church is God's plan A, and there is no plan B. <laughs> this is where the local church comes into play. This is where we get to play a part. Uh, the last thing that Jesus told his disciples was go in all the world and make disciples. And then there are those that go, and there are those who send. And we will be some of those who send. And we will send uh, monetarily. We will do other things as people have needs. Uh, it's interesting. Those <laughs> My parents have told me that there is a gentleman who is a fundraiser for the organization that they're with. And he says, the gospel is free, but the road that it travels on costs money. <laughs> and so for those that are going they're taking the free news of the gospel but we're going to support them and help them take that news there so we're excited to do that we're going to sow seeds of the spirit and it'll be credited to you guys it'll be credited to the people that are sowing into those ministries so that ministry can continue um, when we stand before the Lord when we stand before the Bema seat where the rewards are given um, and sometimes we think, well, you know, I don't really care that much about rewards. I mean, I'm not really into that. When we get there, you will care. You will. We stand before the judgment seat, and that's not the judgment for the believers. That's a judgment where the rewards are given out. And then later we have the great throne judgment for uh, the nations that weren't believing. But when we stand there, I believe that we are going to see people. That we're going to see people. That there are going to be people there that were brought into the kingdom because of investments that you have made. That's an incredible thing to think about. Like we're sitting in Liberty, Missouri, right? We're not over there, but we're investing in ministries that are out doing the work and we get credit for that because we are part of those that send. Um, you guys can go ahead and come back up. We won't see the full harvest, not until we get there. Uh, we'll see some of it this side of eternity, but we won't see until we get there. Uh, there was a missionary couple that had come home from Africa after many years of faithful service there. And they had come by ship. And on that ship that they were returning to, to New York, uh, Teddy Roosevelt just happened to be on the ship. And so there was much fanfare. He was just returning from a hunting trip over there, Teddy Roosevelt being a big hunter. And so they were watching this whole thing from the deck as they pull up to the dock. And there's a band, and there's a bunch of people there, and there's a lot of fanfare. They watch him walk down the gangplank and get into a limousine and drive off to a lot of applause. And the, uh, the old missionary says to his wife, he says, it just doesn't seem fair. 
You know, like we have been on the mission field for years and years and years of faithful service. We come back to nothing, and this guy goes on a hunting trip. And he comes back and he gets this kind of treatment. This doesn't seem fair. And his wife looks up at him and says, but honey, we're not home yet. We're not home yet. We're going to get our homecoming once we get there. And that's when we'll reap our heavenly harvest. Amen? Yes.